This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. You are listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 327, brought to you by C2E2 and iFanboy members like you. Welcome to the iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast episode 327. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hi. And our regular co-host, Ron Richards, is flying. He's traveling. He is out of the picture at the moment. So sitting in for him is the Internet's Paul Montgomery. Hello, sports fans. Awesome. Thanks for coming, Paul. Thanks for sitting in. Thank you for having me. Or if you're You're in the UK, sport fans. Yeah. What What are we talking about, comics? I forget. We are at fanboy.com. We like comics. We read comics every week. We read a bunch of comics. One of us reads all their comics, picks the best one, writes about their website. We talk about it on the podcast, along with other books of the week, other topics of interest. So strap in. It's a whole lot of comic fun. And before we get to the show, quick reminder and a warning that this is a review show, so there will be spoilers. And if we spoil something for you, sorry. It's not our problem. I'm not sorry. Deal not it. our problem. So, Josh had the honor this week of the pick of the week. Yeah, yeah. You guys may remember in February when I did the book of the month review, uh, I did it on uh, Ramon Perez's Tale of Sand from Archaea. And when I read that book, I thought, this is a book I can get behind. And as I said, the the thing that most impressed me about it was the cartooning. And I just think it was really wonderful cartooning. So, this week when I saw... What really is let's let's it's a it's a licensed tie-in book that you know came out in concert with the movie John Carter was uh, John Carter the Gods of Mars uh, number one of five. This is I believe the second of their John Carter miniseries. Well, the That's second right. book they did many of the first yeah. book, which was the movie. Yeah, Princess of right. Mars. Princess of Mars. So, so, so yeah, they have the the Roger Langridge and uh, Philippe Andrade did Princess of Mars, which yeah. was fantastic. So uh, this second miniseries in the in the John Carter series, they're gonna. I wonder if they're gonna keep doing them. 
Probably not. Yeah. There thing is there are eleven of the books and yeah. they're not all John Carter books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More Next. than that, the movie was a huge financial failure. Also that, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's true. That's the that's the broader point. Yeah. yeah. And that's all you hear about is the is the huge loss, the the movie that failed. That's not all you hear about because Paul and I talked for thirty minutes with Allie about how awesome it was. Right. Yeah. And uh, and among our subculture, it seemed like the people in the comics really, really liked it a lot. I didn't get a yeah. chance to go out and see it, not because uh, not any reason. I just didn't have time. But I decided to pick up this book because of Ramon Perez on art. I thought, oh, oh, there's more of him to read. That's exciting. Sam Humphreys did the script, and Jordi Belair on colors. That's a very good up and coming team. Is what that's that an all star team right there? Yeah, that's, on a book, good stuff. on a book that I hope that this helps not get ignored. Basically, and what I got as soon as I opened it up was. More of that artwork that I was looking for, and then some. Taste explosion. Yeah, it really was something kind of wonderful. Uh, Perez has this, it's it's a, it's a cartooning style that is old and new all at the same time. There's not too much on any given page. There are these really strong lines, but it's very, it's not like, um, you know, Darwin Cook has like very sparse line, but they're very smooth. It's... It's not like that. It's, a, it's just a little more lively. It's a, it's a slightly rougher, but but still very, very clean. One of the things that I really like is that his page compositions are very full and exciting, and, and they just seem to move. And so when you've got a book that's full of action and jumping around and, and fighting and swinging weapons, and, and it, like the pages are just moving constantly and in, in, you know, in one direction, inexorably forward. And there's little sort of close-ups on bits of, you know, Carter, like his hand or like his face. And it's just a really interesting and cinematic way to look at a comic book. And then there's a, there's a whole segment where they uh, cut back to uh, the notes of Edgar Rice Burroughs and in a completely different style, completely different, of uh, him receiving John Carter's diary. And it sort of then it sort of cuts back and forth between the adventures that are actually happening on Mars at the same time. God, it was just gorgeous. I knew three pages in looking at it. I was like, there's no way any other comics are going to beat this book this week. Just, there just isn't. And it's a little bit hard to quantify exactly what Sam Humphreys brought to this. And, and that's not a slight on him. It's just I don't know, you know how much this used the original story. I assume a lot. So the sort of imagination of it and the characterizations of it, those were all things that existed. But what he had to do was turn that into a comic book script. And that's actually not a small thing. It's a prose book from over 100 years ago. And what I felt was that, you know, as a, as a comic book, this read very well. I was not being hit over the head with uh, explication and, and, and explanation. Things were always moving, but I understood what was happening. I hadn't read the first miniseries either, and I wasn't lost. I mean, it's not a terribly complicated thing. It's just it's an adventure story that, that is happening on Mars. And I noticed just looking at the pages, we're not bogged down with word balloons. Ever. It's all allowed to breathe. It's allowed to be paced. I think in a certain way, I don't wanna I don't wanna say he got out of the way and let let the art do its work, but it feels like that's a lot what happened, which sometimes is, is among the best choices you can make as a comic book writer is to just let the artist do what they're gonna do and and, and guide it in a way and it all works for me. Like I just I had a lot of fun reading this comic book. It was a lot of what is missing from a lot of the comic books that I've been reading for a very long time. And I know that because it's this property, because it's a Marvel book, but it's not a Marvel book, a lot of people won't check it out. And I think that that is a gigantic mistake. Even if you're only going to go in and look at this wonderful artwork, Colors by Bel Air are very out of this world. And I don't mean that in the like, wow, that's out of this world. I mean, literally, it doesn't look like Earth. She used a palette that is so almost, it's almost unsettling. You know, all the, the, there's green and blue people and the, the rocks are all this 
reddish, you know, lavender sort of color. It's like a, it's like a magenta color. Yeah. And yellow skies and, you know, green blood. Yeah. There's a lot of colors per page. The, th- the thing with the script that, that I think is really impressive, and, and yeah, I guess it is kind of hard to quantify because it's, it, it isn't a wordy script. Mm-hmm. But even if you look at it, even, with, even if you haven't read the original book, if you look at where you go from the beginning of the story by the end of the story, they introduce a lot. And I mean, 10 years have passed since either the first miniseries or the first book or from the movie. Mm-hmm. You can actually look at this as a sequel to the movie as well. It, it basically works yeah, the cool. same way. That whole mausoleum thing that's in the movie as well. So it's really impressive how succinct this is yeah. and how, how much information you glean just through visuals and through relationships, how John Carter interacts with Tars Tarkas, the big green Martian. And they introduce this this whole, like this uh, heavenly city at the end and a new villain. And they introduce a, a, a really major character, Thuvia, the maid of Mars. That's actually one of the other Barsoom books. It's like the fourth, I think it's the fourth book. So she's going to play a big role. So they do a lot in this first issue yeah. and they have a lot, they have a lot more space to play around with in the rest of the miniseries. So and one of the, you know, I, I keep saying I'm, I'm really a big fan of Perez's art and I, I will, you know, I came to it. One of the things I really like is that just by the expressions on John Carter's face, you can get to know almost everything you need to know about him. He's got this smirk, this smile, you know, he's obviously he's going after his lost love, but at the same time, like when things kick in, you know, he's enjoying that conflict. He feels confident about it. You know, he, you know, he's very, it's very Han Solo like, which I think makes sense. You know, but, but Paul, you, you know, you, you seem, you're familiar with these books, so you seem like you were very happy with this adaptation. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's been a while since I've looked at the stuff past the first novel, mm-hmm. but, um, it really, it's like, I mean, establishing this world, and like you said, the look on John Carter's face is so much of what makes this. It's And it's it's what I think uh, me and Connor and Allie liked so much about the movie, is that it is, it is so fun, and it is so, uh, it's of another time. Mm-hmm. It's not so cynical. It's just, it's, it's a romp. And I think that really comes through here. If you like this, definitely go back and, and pick up the first uh, Marvel collection, The uh, Princess of Mars. Only problem there, if you can find the single issues, it's probably better because they did the digest with it. Mm. And I'm actually kind of in, in, you know, in advance kind of crying over the fact that this art is going to be shrunk down into a little digest. Yeah. This kind of art you really want to see, you know, as, as big as possible. And uh, so enjoy it in single issues. I'd say don't wait for the trade. Yeah. And, and keep your eye out for more Ramon Perez. Well, in general, Absolutely. this was better than it had any right to be. Yeah. My only hang up f- while reading it was that, and I wasn't going to get it, but then I saw that Ramon Perez drew it, I picked it up, was that I, I found myself wanting to not read the story in this form. Because I just bought all the books after having seen the movie. So for me, just my own personal thing is I'm not going to continue on because I want to read the book. Mm-hmm. And have it, and find you know experience the story for the first time that way, and not through the adaptation. They do end up being a bit streamlined in terms of these mini series. It's kind of it's kind of unfortunate that they have a little bit more real estate, like you know an eight issue thing, because there is a lot of world building that they have to do. So it's uh, it's it's tricky. Like the like the first one, it is it is uh, much slimmer than like the, say the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. So it's that there is there is a trade off there, but. I mean, in terms of doing an adaptation in comics, I don't think it's going to get much better than this with these kinds of creative teams. It's it's actually kind of crazy just how how good these are for a licensed property like that. Yeah. I just, I think more people 
I, I don't I don't know what the sales numbers were, but check this book out, man. Just do do yourself a solid. This is a this is a fine looking comic book. At least leave through it and see if you're interested. If you saw the movie, you'll probably be interested. If you're not interested in reading the book, you and you want more of the movie because you're not going to get another movie. So if you want to continue the story, then you could, you'll get it here. Well, wait. Let's double yeah. down, guys. Five hundred million, then they'll come. All right. Well, another big release was Batman number seven from Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo. Arguably the best book in comics continues on. And Paul, you gave a rave review to it on ifanboy.com. I did because I know I and I gave a rave review to the the past you know issues. I think five was pick of the week. That was the, the Josh. Tw- you gave it the, the turnaround one, the twirly one. That was yes. me. The twirly. Yeah. Oh, that was you. I okay. Didn't pick it, but. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I reviewed the last one. It's. I mean, he's uh, Batman's been involved in this big like hallucinatory fight with the Talon and this underground gladiatorial thing in the sewers in the in the court of the Owl's Lair, and uh, and now you get a little bit of a, a bit of a respite from that, although involving jumper cables and nipples. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So that so but it, but it's it's back to sort of the, the detective Batman and Batman going back to. Because he's he's just been this like savage to like basically his body broken and now he's back to using his mind because that's I mean his greatest gift his greatest talent is his uh, his deductive mind and a lot of crazy stuff that we found out in terms of the court of owls and its connection to Haley's circus. Well, and before we get into the detail, yeah. details of that, we should mention that Nightwing number seven also came out this week and DC went the other way with this because the Batman books are about to all enter this this saga of the court of the owls. The Night of the Owls. Night yeah. of the Owls. And the, well, with the Court of the Owls being the villains. And mm-hmm. they've done no promotion whatsoever. You would have no way of knowing that Nightwing number seven is intricately linked to this to Batman number seven. In fact, half the issue is the same scenes and dialogue that are in Batman. You just get more of it from Dick Grayson's perspective. And then you get the, the end of the issue is following Dick instead of following Batman. But if you're following this story and you want to, to read everything, Nightwing number seven is part of it, which is bizarre. It's not even on the cover. Nothing's mentioned about yeah. it. It's just... I didn't even know until I was reading Nightwing. I, I don't. I don't think you have to read. No, you don't it. have like to a, at all. It's just. It's an. It's another angle, literally, on the shot heard around the world. The you know Bruce Wayne punching Dick Grayson, kind of because he was being a dick, but also because there was a, a creepy tooth that's been in his head for a long time. This issue, we find out that, or both issues, we find out that the, the Court of Owls have been recruiting their talents from Haley's Circus all these years, and Old Man Haley was actually pretty awful. And uh, you find out in the Nightwing issue, you find out he's been sending his most promising young men into the Talon internship program where you are put into a sarcophagus for a while. Yeah. And then you're, you're like an Iron Maiden like yeah. that, that, that has like blades inside it and you get closed up and you have to stay in there for weeks until it breaks you. Yeah. So if, if you want to see just how messed up the Haley Circus end of it is, check out the Nightwing issue. But you do get you do get most of the story. In, and we in find the, out that the, the Talon that, that Bruce has the body of was Dick Grayson's grandfather, great grandfather, great grandfather. And then uh, we find out that Dick was supposed to be the next Talon or the next line of Talons until he, the, his parents were killed and he went off with Bruce, so they went with someone else. Looked out. Yeah, and so then uh, – Sort of. Br- sort of. Parents murdered become an undead assassin. You know. So uh, Bruce figures out that Dick was supposed to be a Talon and each Talon has a little implant in a tooth. And so he pops Dick in the face, knocks the tooth out, and shows him the evidence that he was supposed to be a talent also. And it sort of rocks Dick's whole perspective of who he is, who his family was, 
his whole history. One of the hallmarks of Dick Grayson has been the sepia-toned memories of his life in the circus with his, with his parents and, and, and Mr. Haley and the, the family of, of traveling circus people, and now it's all And Scott changed. Snyder will destroy that, too. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, Batman uh, has pissed on his sepia-toned memories. That's... It, it, no one will have sepia-toned memories around Batman. You know, exactly. didn't Batman just have, like, one of those little dental mirrors hanging around? Yeah, he... There's, I, there's an owl on here. Sometimes I'd rather just go to the dentist and be punched in the face and have it be over with. That's bad a good point. That's not a bad point. So then at the end of the issue, the, t- the, the Court of Owls activate all of their talents and send them off, as someone online mentioned, in a very release the flying monkeys from Wizard of Oz <laughs> fashion. I, yeah. and, uh, I love the design of the lettering on that page. Yeah. Yes. Like an old movie poster. That's my, old, that's my real comment for the book. I really like. I mean, it's, it's it's. I mean, it's it's very like shit's about to get real. It's 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 pretty exciting. It's 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 a pretty cool event, and it's like it. You mean there's no like colored rings out there like some DC events get, and I think this is that there's a good story here. Doesn't um, doesn't Bruce have like a, a lot of broken ribs and such? Yeah, he's pretty he's, messed he's up. He's messed up. Yeah, physically he's hurting. Alfred didn't even know who he was. He was going to shoot his head off. It's like it shows then, how. But then, and this happened off panel. He picked up his cape and he put his finger through a little hole and he said, I'm relieved you're home, sir. That's what <laughs> happens in every scene in my mind. Yes. Yeah, so Batman's hurting. Dick is psychologically hurting. And, and the owls are now going, attacking it, attacking in force. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's, it's been just a wonderful ride these last seven months so far. It's think- just very, very consistent artistically <laughs> and, and, and writing wise. So. I think on Nightwing's side, the art might not be as good, although the Eddie Barrow stuff is really good. But. This issue itself puts a whole spin in the last six. Now it really changes sort of everything that we've, we've been reading about Nightwing in the last six months. So I think this, this issue, while of course not as good as Batman, is, is I think still very good and it leads a lot of interesting depth to the whole story. It's, it's a good way to do, do a tie-in. Like you, don't, you don't have to read that, but I think there's, they, they've, you can clearly see that they've done some coordination on this. And they've worked together before, mm-hmm. uh, Higgins and Snyder. So it's, it's cool to see you know, this coalescing. Like this. Which one did you read first, Connor? Batman, huh. definitely. Yeah, and I, I didn't know. I, I, I hadn't been reading Nightwing, honestly, and then, you know, to find out from the creators that there's a connection there. I was like, oh, I'll check that out. So. Batman was the one to read first because that had the yes. better reveal. Mm-hmm. If you read Nightwing first, I think, I think the emotional impact of Batman 7 is, is dulled, whereas it's not the yes. other way around. Now, Prophet 23 continues what I think is one of the weirdest but most awesomely weird stories that I'm reading. Weird but awesomely weird. I agree. It's, uh, this is a crazy book. It's so weird, but it's awesomely? so awesomely weird. The, the, the best thing about it is that— I'm just trying to get in a pull quote. <laughs> the the best thing about it is that the weird escalates. It keeps yes. getting weirder and weirder. Yes. But John Prophet, anything. Yeah, I John love- Prophet, the main character, who it's told in the third person. He doesn't speak, and we have a narrator explaining what he's doing. But he doesn't talk. He's not expositioning, and he faces all of this just with total stoicism and nonchalance. Like he doesn't give a shit. Like. He loses, he loses an arm, and then, like, I actually missed that fact. And then a couple panels later, I'm like, Wait, where did his arm go? I didn't see him screaming in terror, you he know. He blown and, up, he landed, his arm got ripped off, and then he yeah. just sort of, he's got this protective goo on him that coagulated around his, the armhole. It's a magic scarf. And then, he, and then he fell asleep next to 
uh, a b- the bones of some alien, and so the, the 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 scarf grabbed the arm and attached it to his body. He wakes up with an alien arm. It, it's just, and he just keeps going, and like <laughs> something dies in front of him, he just eats it because he needs the protein. Like he doesn't go ick, I'm not eating that, or like he doesn't cook it. He just eats it because he has to because he's like a one man force, and he's just like he's a juggernaut through this book and going on this weird objective. He's got this thing, you know, his handlers from the past had. You know, said like you need to go and it's, I guess it's like repopulating the earth or like retake the earth from these crazy aliens that have turned them into cattle, you know, generations past. And he just has to has to deal with it and reset a satellite. And uh, I don't want to give away in case anybody hasn't read this, but the very end, it's like total game changer end of a chapter thing. And I don't know what to expect from yeah. the next issue. I love that we're just on this crazy journey with this guy. Don't know really why. Don't know really where. Don't know really who. But it's just fascinating to follow him. It's gross. Yes. And, but it's just – it's awesome. It's, and also the art, there's no cheating in this issue or any of these issues. There's no slacking. You're getting your money's worth with, just from the art alone. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. It's, it, it's a, I mean there's some really impressive vistas and stuff and, and you've highlighted some of those in the Best of the Weekend panels and there's some really good landscapes and really good designs overall. If you, I mean, but if you really st- kind of stare at these panels, like there's, it's a little bit crude. But like that's it's part of the style, though. It, it, is, it is part of the style. I am kind of excited for the art change next issue. We're going to get uh, Farrell Dalrymple. So I'm kind of excited to see what other artists do with this. Not, not that I don't want to see Simon Roy you know, come back, but I, I definitely do. But I don't want people to go in expecting that it's really meticulous. Like It, it is super detailed, but there's, I don't know, like you can see the artist's hand in it. Which I think is great. It's part of the look of it. It's a it's a crude, and a crude is crude is a, I think a dismissive term, but it's not it's raw. not it's raw. The art is very raw. Yeah, that's story. fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think that's was. I don't I don't dislike it. it at all. Yeah. I just I, I think there's I think there there might be some though who would who would look at this and say I don't know that that's top notch draftsmanship. Well, that's, they'd be stupid. Okay. <laughs> That's a that's a better pull quote, by the way. All right. <laughs> if you don't like this book, then you'd be stupid. Now, Josh, last year, Rocketeer Adventures was was one of our favorite books. A little bit of surprise came out of nowhere with a top notch rotating creative team taking on the Rocketeer, a character who was made famous by Dave Stevens of the underground comic scene. Now we've got a sequel because the first one did so well. Yeah, and I forgot. To, I forgot to read it. That was a that was a bad move. I had a lot to, a lot going on. And you I know what? Forgot. Come on. Now, the thing is, and I will admit to you that straight up, you know what? No, that's not necessarily true. I was going to say that the names involved with this are not quite as impressive as the first go-round, but that's just specifically for you. It's still an, an impressive lineup of names. Mark Guggenheim and Sandy Plunkett did the first story, and the, the second story was done, written by Peter David, and art and letters by Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. And that story, by the way, is titled The Ducketeer. Nice. About a duck version of The Rocketeer. And then the last one was completely by Stan Sakai with colors by Dave Stewart. So it was a heck of a lineup, and I would say that the stories were every bit as fun as the last go-around. I'm not going to tell you I completely uh, understood the Ducketeer part, but it was amazing to look at. Because it was Bill Sienkiewicz doing full-on Bill Sienkiewicz, and it was kind was, of was it Was it Daffy Duck, or was it just I, a duck? I, read I heard him, someone I did, say I that it was... did read him in that voice. Okay. Whether it was or not, it was that way. But not necessarily visually? He was no. under the helmet the whole time? 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. But it, you know, it was it was Bill Sienkiewicz in a way that we actually haven't seen in, in quite a while. Actually, and then, it's very much Daffy Duck. I'm looking at it now because yeah. the villain is Marvin the Martian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Which is fine. It was fun. I literally I didn't pay as much attention to it as as much as I just looked at it. I really just kept looking and I was like, this is just this pressed is your nuts. face into it. Just... It, was, it was pretty awesomely weird to be. He honest. nuzzled it. Yeah, uh, and then you know I think my favorite part of it was the last story, which was Stan Sakai. You know, and they're they're just fun. It's got whim- game whimsical stories. You know, like it's a dude in the '30s with a rocket jetpack. There's there doesn't have to be a lot else to it. And then you know all the pinups in it were gorgeous. The Arthur Adams pinup and a Dave Stevens pinup yeah. and a wonderful cover by Darwin Cook that Paul did not highlight the best covers of the oh. week feature, which is going going in your file. Going in your file. It really like the and the sketch cover of that Darwin Cook was just on its own quite wonderful. I'll probably better than the finished one. Um, you update that database, Buster Brown, and then it's been in there since Monday. No, it hasn't. Yes, it is. Yeah, so full of shit. No, I'm... yeah, I did it. I specifically did this book Monday. I, I did it because I put it in my light week. So it does continue the alarming trend of having a mini series, then naming it two and then putting a number after that which is awful stupid yeah mm. like what they did with gi joe cobra two number three which yeah. that's uh, that's awful don't put that there um okay. finally let's talk about wonder woman number seven uh, there were a lot of notable books from dc to talk about this week the, in the sevens i guess it's great not have to remember numbers anymore it really is it's it's quite useful. i have no problem remember everything yeah i don't care it's fun <laughs> um, i don't worry about it but uh this one was up sort of a almost a standalone and what I really liked about it was, that, as you may or may not know, Wonder Woman now is part of the Greek pantheon of gods and mythology. And this issue, she went with her little cadre of people to try to enlist the help of Hephaestus, the god of the of the forge and of, of making weapons and things like that. Turns out he made the golden lasso. Gives her a badass golden whip. Yeah, and this was, it was a great issue because it really, it showed like, it was it was the twist that you don't expect coming, and it showed the hubris of of Wonder Woman as a character, and it ended on a on a down note. I love the design of Hephaestus, just like I've loved the design of great. almost all of the gods. I still think that Mercury is just amazing, and and Eros is really interesting. You know, is too. A mullet, maybe mullets. Do we do we call that a? They're mullet? making they're making a quiet comeback. Mullets are like tuberculosis. It must be stopped. Mullets in its tracks in comics. Like, they don't quite go away, and then they come back really strong, and all of a sudden we don't know how to deal with them anymore. The mullet, I mean... He's got a little scarf. Yeah. And he's got sort of a, an ironic mullet thing going. I think yeah. that's what's happening. Well, he's if, he's, the, if he's a hipster, pants. then that makes sense. He sort of is. Let's, I mean, we don't, we don't like using that word, but... I have no problem using that word. You didn't live in Brooklyn. All right. Or take the subway every day. With, anyway, this is Wonder Woman at its finest. Yep. That seven issues might be the longest I've ever made it into a Wonder Woman book because yep. I've tried a bunch of them. Definitely and it's, for me. It's interesting. It's fascinating. I like the fact that it's tied into the Greek mythology, something I used to dislike a lot about Wonder Woman. I used to hate the mythology aspect of it. Interesting. I used to just want her to be a superhero. I like her superhero adventures. But yeah. when it was all about her family and her mother and the island, I just kind of got bored. But here I really like it because I think it's so different. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really cool approach to doing the Greek gods. They're not just like guys in togas or anything. It's they're they're in you know street clothes or yeah. I like that they've gone with a really pure concept of the the gods constantly boring with each other and bickering yep. each other and their complete disregard for humanity. Yeah, they just do not give a shit. And also they they going back into the historical and this pissed a lot of people off, but the historical reality or not reality the historical mythology of the, the Amazons who were brutal. Yep. Absolutely brutal. 
and it angers Wonder Woman fans who consider her a paragon of peace and, and, and love, but that was the old Wonder Woman. This is the new Wonder Woman, and I, I loved every bit of this book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was an absolutely wonderful issue, and you know this could have been a pick of the week on it on any given week. It was, and you know, also just as a standalone, I, I thought it was very nice too. Mm-hmm. Speaking of comics, that's what we do. You may be interested to go to one of the comic book conventions that are coming up this summer. The, they're all starting; they're coming. But the first one that we want to talk about is C two E two from April thirteenth to fifteenth. That's coming up fast in Chicago at McCormick Place which is a large complex. There will be many luminaries of comics there, including Mark Silvestri, Amanda Connor, Tony Moore, Joe Kubert, Sean Murphy, Tim Seeley. I can't imagine that Brian Azzarello, writer of uh, Wonder Woman, won't be there, as Chicago is his native city. You could also meet uh, Anthony Daniels. That's right. Thank the maker. Thank the baker. This oil bath is going to feel... I'm going to be so sad when this ad ends and we can't do thank the maker jokes anymore. Uh, uh. The tickets are $50 for the entire weekend. Or you can get a VIP package with perks and all sorts of stuff. You get in early, get backstage, meet people, things like that. Go to C2E2.com. You can find out all about it. There's a heck of a lineup going on. It's a really fun show. We should note that Paul has canceled his appearance. So if you're getting your 8x10s, hoping to get signed by Paul, he will not be there. I might have some people on the floor with some 8x10s just handing them around. I will have some kind of presence there in spirit, but uh, maybe next year. You should get on a video screen that somebody carries around. I know, exactly. <laughs> that, was on an episode of, that was an episode of Psych this week. All right, so Justice League number seven was important for a number of reasons. One, it was the first issue that took place in the present time. Two, it was Gene Ha filling in for Jim Lee. And three, it was the premiere of Shazam, the first part of the Shazam backup story. A couple of points. One, the time jump didn't seem to change anything with the group and dynamics of the team. It, it read pretty much the same as in the past. Uh, although I do really like kind of cocky asshole Green Lantern. It's nice to have a character that... It doesn't necessarily get along with everybody else. It is kind of a jerk in a team setting because it creates tension. Number two, Gene Ha's new style isn't as good as Gene Ha's old style. <laughs> I know we say that a lot about artists, but it's a different kind of style. It's a rougher edge style. It's not as smooth, but and it's still good. I do quite like it. I liked it here a lot, but you know, if you look back at top ten, it's not the same. Well, and it's hard to say that any change from what he did in top ten or stuff like that would, sure. would be because I I love that. I just, I just, it just in like my it. head when I hear Gene Ha's going to write a book, I picture automatically top ten, and then when I open the book, it's not top ten style, and I go, Arr. yeah, and that's, that's but it's, it, that's but it's still good in a different way. And three, the big twist in the Shazam backup, which had a lot of people up in arms, was that Billy Batson is a little bit of an asshole. Mm. Wow, that's that's a strategy that hasn't been applied to comic books before. Uh, like that. He uh, he's in his orphanage, getting interviewed by a prospective couple who want to take him in, and and then they the couple leaves, and Billy turns to the woman in charge of the orphanage and says, "The suckers! Those idi- I hope those idiots take me in." And she's just trying to desperately get rid of him. Which it's either a, either he's need to be, talk about Kevin kind of situation. Either he's going to be an asshole through the whole thing, or it's going to be a character arc where he starts off as an asshole and being Captain. Oh. Well, We'll he's on part. he's on Young Justice and you know, same old big red cheese kind of Billy Bats and Shazam and it you know totally works. He can be he can be square. One thing I really liked about the update was that he doesn't work at Wiz Radio, which would be ridiculous in the modern day world. <laughs> he does podcasts, which makes sense. So it's kind of interesting. Is that a job though? No. Oh, well, okay, good. for some people, but uh, but how old is he? He's, he's the same young little Billy Bassett kid. Okay. He does podcasts about the orphanage, I think. I was going to say, he doesn't have to have a job if he's a little yeah, kid. Yeah, that's true. A hobby. He just used to work at the radio in the, in the 30s and 40s comics, and that was fine back then because kids worked in factories. But then, now they don't do that anymore. So. Right. And they had eight fingers. 
uh, I wanted to make a note of the sixth gun number 20. First of all, when I was looking up the number, I was like, wow, 20. Go you. That's really impressive. It is impressive. This was, I guess, sort of the, the coming of age of Becky Montcrief. This is the way that I would describe this one. This has been consistently good the entire way through, and uh, I haven't dropped off. I haven't lost interest. Been a really fun book, and we keep learning more and more things about it. It's it's great because the characters get to develop and change, and there's still so much that we don't know. And it's been you know every issue that's been coming out lately has been better than the one before it. It's just a, a ton of fun, and and you know it's this again this sort of sad down note ending, and we keep learning more about the guns. And again, I just I just really enjoyed it. This is this is one of those great series that keeps keeps moving on. What about Dark Avengers? Tell us about that book. Oh, Thunderbolts one seventy one. I, I love this book a whole lot. And you know who else would like this book? People with toe fetishes would uh, would enjoy this a great deal. Did, a, did you guys cool read quote. this yet? I actually missed it on the stands. I love this book, and I just, for whatever reason, forgot to grab it. But you can spoil away. Or so, so, some, some beautiful uh, Kev Walker art. This is, this is like a, a little standalone issue featuring Songbird. And she goes off on a, on a vacation to Tahiti. And, you know, Songbird's sort of like, I mean, known pretty much as being a Thunderbolt. I mean, she was, she was a villain before that, but she's basically, we know her as the standby stalwart Thunderbolt. And she finally gets a bit of a break, goes to this island, meets a handsome island guy, takes her off in a boat. And unfortunately, she is um, abducted by a super fan who is Dr. Lumiel Dorcas who created Tiger Shark, and he's like an evil geneticist who apparently was recently, or at some point in the past, killed by Namor. But he points out here to explain why he's back, he did implant uh, regenerative starfish cells in his body so he was able to reform after being crushed by Namor. So he's back and doing some creepy experiments. There's some really scary images in here. Songbird gets the side of her head shaved and she's got stitches because he went in and basically was tooling around with her link to the, the Thunderbolts thing and gave her, her her voice back, her Songbird voice that gives her her powers. So she's sort of like Black Canary. And she wakes up and there's a sea urchin mutant guy, like a little little dwarven urchin thing with spikes and stuff. And he's licking her toes because he can't help himself. And uh, yeah, this is um, pretty, pretty fucked up. And uh, a very good, very beautiful book. And uh, by the end of it, Songbird is in a very different place than she has been for a while. And uh, I'm very sad to see Thunderbolts going. And um, even if it is the same creative team doing Dark Avengers, I will miss being able to say T-Bolts because that's a great name for a book. It really is. Feels like, this feels like the book that Marvel will not acknowledge, but they all like it a lot. So they just keep putting it out. <laughs> it's like it's this great book that they have. to. It's so good. It's, it's my favorite Avengers book. Yeah, very good. Hey, what's this Rage More? More Rage, rage. More is a state of mind. It's a it's a place. This is who did this? This is Jan Michael Vincent. Sh- Michael Vincent. Jan Stranad. Oh damn. Jan Stranad and art by Richard Corbin. So event comics. Oh. Richard Corbin, black and white. It's basically the the cover is basically an anthropomorphic castle 
looks like sort of like Castle Grayskull lifting a a woman over its head with its its mouth wide open, about to uh, to to devour this woman. And this is sort of a like a Victorian sort of um, creepy castle horror thing with um, some people who are trapped in this estate. Basically, this castle was created in an arcane way centuries ago, and they never finished it. Um, these pagans who were building it, and it kept on going and built itself over the years yeah, in a kind of reverse happen. erosion kind of thing. Yeah, and basically it's it's like a sentient castle. And this greedy uncle of the, the young man who owns this estate with his, his father who's gone completely mad and runs around naked, um, this uncle has come with his uh, inverted commas daughter. It's his hired daughter, not really his daughter, have come to check out this place and basically – gain custody of it, and um, it doesn't quite work out for them very well. This is a mini-series, but I believe each of these, it looks like it's the, each is going to be like sort of standalone about evil things that this castle does. One thing to note, really gorgeous, as always, Richard Corbin art, but he's doing something weird here, and I, uh, I only know Richard Corbin through, through Hellboy stuff, unfortunately. I haven't read his older stuff, so I don't know if he's done this before, but there's like a digital shading thing going on where there's black and gray ink, uh, inking, but then there's also some kind of digital effect for flesh tones, and it's kind of weird looking. Mm. So I wish that that wasn't there and it was just clean black and white art, but otherwise it's, it's Richard Corbin, it's event comics. In the, in the early 50s, they would have done this and there's an eight-page story from EC. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That sounds cool. Now it's the, it's the end of a, of a crayon-drawn era. I very famously panned the first issue of Titan Titans, famously amongst us and DCPR. But this is the final issue, issue 50. 50 issues of Titan Titans is worth noting and celebrating. I, I've read a couple randomly since then, and I picked up this one because it was the final one, and I wanted to see what would happen. This book is great. I really blew it on that review in the, the first time. I really wish I'd been reading this all along. It's funny. Really, there's a lot. From once I've read a lot of poking DC in the eye happening in this book. Yeah, they do that a lot. <laughs> uh, this issue was all about making fun of the reboot. Just a lot of talk about costume changes and why is everybody wearing different clothes now and no one understands. And, and Beast Boy dressed up as Superman, but he, his, his briefs fall off and because briefs are no longer in. And then Superman shows up in his jeans. And it was just very funny, very cute, wonderful art. Also very touching, too. It's, it, it really straddles that line of touching and funny and, and, and adventurous. And then in the end, there's a little preview for the next book that Balthazar and, and Franco are doing, which is Superman family uh, in the same style. It'll be super. I'm I'm on board for that. I'm actually going to pick it up now that I blew it on Tiny Titans. I'm going to pick up Superman Family. Got a little crypto. So. I'm actually on like a all ages book kick. I've been picking up all the all ages books and really liking them more and more. I don't know. I think it's just because it's just so not cynical and annoying. So I, th- I think that's totally it. I, like in, it's the same thing that I mentioned about you know the John Carter book that I picked up or you know, just other books that are just when I, the Peanuts book or just, Reed Gunther. Yeah, Reed Gunther. Snarked. Just great stuff. Fun books. Rocketeer. Rocketeer is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So the Tiny Titans 50 was funny. You don't have to know anything about it if, if you want jokes about DC and or, and or want to see wonderful art or not. It's up to you. <laughs> Tiny Titans 50. So those are the books we read this week. We want to re- uh, highlight some of the user reviews. You can go to ifamber.com slash comics. You can make your pull list. You can rate and review your books. If you write some reviews, you can get them on the show. But first, let's talk about the top five picks of the week. Amongst the community, if you go to fm.com slash comics, you can also make your pick of the week and vote along with everyone else. The number five community pick of the week was Amazing Spider-Man 682. Yeah, 682. Sorry, the computer's very far away. 1.8% of you made your pick of the week. I didn't screw it up. 
No, it's, it's on a laptop and it's across the table. Number four was John Carter, The Gods of Mars. Number one, the official fanboy pick of the week. That was at 3.7%. Number three was Prophet 23 at 5.1%. Number two was Wonder Woman number seven at at 10.8%. And number one was Batman number seven, 71.8%. All great books. Another decisive victory for Scott Snyder's Batman series in the, in the community picks of the week. They really seem to like it. Yes. Kingdom of Evan checked in with Rebel Blood number one, new series. He gave a story of five out of five and the art of five out of five. That's a very high rating. And the pick of the week percentage of it was 1.3. I think it was just out of the top five. It was either six or seven. It says, it takes a lot to make me care about a zombie story. I never got into The Walking Dead and the Sea of Zombies movies is so vast that unless it really has some clever twist like Fido, then I get bored. But Riley, Rossmo, and Alex Link have my undivided attention. There's no real twist here. They haven't reinvented the genre. These are your usual hostile growling beasties with weird flesh sacks growing out of them. What grabs you is the way that they tell the story. It's not linear there are lots of flashbacks fantasy sequences characters from one moment in time narrating over another it took me a second read to grasp the structure of it all and therein lies the fun of the issue watching link and rosmo lay down the puzzle pieces of our main character's life his relationships and his dreams of being a hero this is raleigh rosmo's next project you may know him from proof and green after that green wake paul you you read this yeah josh christie did a review of this on the site so check that out i, I read this as well it's really ambitious and and like kingdom of evan says there's some really interesting fantasy sequences and flashbacks going on that uh, make for a very interesting structure. I'm very curious to see where they go with it in issue two, but there's a lot of stuff where the main character is driving in his truck and he's imagining what could happen when he gets to a certain place and he imagines different scenarios. And that can be a little disorienting when you're reading through it the first time, but uh, it's supposed to be that way. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see how that continues in, in the next issue. So definitely on board. And uh, great Riley Rossmo art. Closet Squirrel reviewed Deadpool number 52 and gave a story of 5 out of 5 and the art of 4 out of 5 and 0.8% made a pick of the week. And Closet Squirrel says, it was not too long ago so there were no less than seven books with Deadpool in the title. That we all wish Deadpool were dead. Now it seems we're getting our wish. Deadpool, as a character, has had a bit of a rocky path over the last few years, ever since he stopped being Cable's best bud. But finally, Deadpool's back on track. These last few issues have brought the old pool to a level of entertainment he once was at. Once Deadpool has a nuanced, multi-level character filled with grief and self-loathing masked by desire to maim, somewhere along the road he lost what made him special, but with the current arc, he's starting to come back. Deadpool has been fine in the pages of Uncanny X-Force, I just want to say. If you're talking, if you're talking about solo series, I don't know. None, none of us can speak to this, but I will say that yeah. Daniel Way has been on this a long time. He's put together a heck of a string on it. They checked. I was like, well, it's the same writer. They pared it down, and now the Deadpool fans may, are, are more happy. I uh, hope the best for them is what I'm saying. That's the comics of the week. If you want to make your picks and pull us, go to ifanboy.com slash comics. You can rate them, write your reviews, and maybe we'll read them on the show. I, I don't know. I can't guarantee it. Email time. Will from Norwalk, California. There's Norwalk in California? There is. There's probably a lot of Norwalks, actually. It's in Norwalk County. <laughs> in California. Good, Paul. Will says, I was wondering what you, your opinions were of the AMC show Comic Book Men in relation to pop culture geeks and how they are perceived by the rest of society. Personally, I think watching 40, 50-year-old men getting, quote, weak in the knees over seeing the first appearance of Wonder Woman isn't helping our cause. Though I also believe that a bunch of Brad Pitts on camera wouldn't be a good representation either. All this being said, I enjoy the show. The conversation sequences where they speak of the absurd quirks of classic comics and such resemble conversations I've had before. So what do you guys think? Have you watched it? Will you stick around for season two? God, did they pick it up for season two? Uh, I don't, they haven't announced anything. I saw. The, I watched the first one. 
And I don't want to say I was angered at how we are being represented because I, I don't necessarily, I don't know, think of us as a subset. A collective. Class, a collective. I think there, there are very different branches of comic book fans as there are for any fandom, if you want to call it that. I just got annoyed with this very early on where they, you know, talked about who's the hottest, you know, superhero you know, who they want to date in the beginning. And I was like, come on. Like, and it's, uh, there's uh, not a whole lot of sales going on in this comic shop. It's all, they, it's sort of, it's like pawn stars. It's like guys coming in who want to sell their, you know, uh, Kirby Thor posters. And um, well, that's a very deliberate producer choice to make it like the, the hottest show on cable. Um, right. So it, yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate. I could tell from the previews I would not be interested in this show, so I didn't watch it. I am the same as Connor. Yeah. Uh, I also was really turned off by uh, the reaction of some of the casts towards uh, – like on Comics Alliance, they wrote, a, they wrote a particularly scathing review. Yes, they the, did. <laughs> the letter that they got back was even worse, and I was like, that's, that's not going to help anybody. I think the same thing just from the – and I, I, I didn't see it. I can't speak to it. I think, I, I, think, you know, I, I think that Connor and I have both grown out of the Kevin Smith – mode which we were both very much into i, I have as well yeah, yeah. I, I i was i was i was a big fan as well and but uh i just it's not you know it's not my scene well there was a time know. that he was you know he was very important to me i would say and, and also just for what somebody could do with just their wits and a keyboard basically and just being a, a very good speaker and and i don't know i've gotten away from it a little bit and i saw the trailer and i just thought that's not it's not what i i want and what I've heard about the, it's not, I think, a representation that's particularly helpful to a medium that is struggling because people won't check it out because they think it's not inclusive or that all of the, that they think a comic book can only be one thing when really it's just a way to tell a story and it can be done by there's geniuses who work all over comics and I don't know. The, the, I'm not concerned about the, the larger perception of the comics industry or, or their fans. I just think if, if anybody is watching The Walking Dead and then they start watching this, they might be intimidated from going into a comic shop, which I know when I was younger, I was kind of afraid of like, you know, the, the, the guys who worked in there were kind of it's, you know, it's a, their, their club. You know, and they don't really necessarily want people coming in there. I'm lucky enough to have found a comic shop that is very welcoming and um, it's like, you know, cheers in terms of a retail store. But there's always a drunk guy there. <laughs> but there are definitely people who aren't as lucky. And I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's going it to it would potentially hurt potential fans who would want to check out books. Our next email is from Brandon, who has a bunch of questions. So what I'll do is I'll read a question and they will answer it. And then I'll go to the next one. Okay. So. That's Seems how this will work. Brandon says, this year, a few friends and I will be going to San Diego for our first Comic-Con, first convention of any kind, actually. And since you guys are seasoned pros when it comes to comic conventions, we have a couple of questions that you, maybe you can help us with. Now, we get this email a lot every year, but it's important to revisit it because it's con season and people haven't been before. So Brandon's first question, what are the most important days to go? We plan on going for two to three days, most likely Thursday through Saturday. Would we be missing anything big by not attending the last day? Sales. That's what the last day is. If you're there to buy a lot of stuff, stuff goes on sale the last day. If that's not important to you, that's fine. But all the big stuff usually happens on Friday and Saturday. Conversely, that also means that that's when it's the most crowded. Right. Uh, elbow to elbow. You know. Especially Thursday, Friday, because that's Saturday's a big media day. So people, a lot of the people on the floor go to the panels, and the floor's less crowded than it is Thursday, Friday when there's less of those panels. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Two, what's the procedure for getting autographs and sketches? I'm assuming it involves waiting in ridiculous lines and costs money, but how much? Is it a fixed rate or more of a tip system? If it's a tip system, what's a good tip to give for a sketch or an autograph? 
This one is you're not you're not quite there. Your line depends on who it is you're talking about. If you're talking about Jim Lee, big line. If you're talking about who are a lot of some of the best comic artists today, you'd be surprised. Make sure to check out. Do you want to do a little research on this ahead of time? You, if there's a sketch that you really want from somebody or a commission, get in touch with them ahead of time. Find out when they're making a list for that. Find out what they're going to charge. Charging that can be anywhere from ten dollars to several hundred dollars. You know, if depends if, on who it is. And also, if you if you go to a publisher signing, I mean, you can get a little quick sketch free sometimes but you're gonna have to wait yeah those are big lines the other things if i mean if you want a full-on commission don't wait until san diego actually check out the artists you're interested in see who's going to be there follow them on twitter look at their blogs a lot of them will have like a sort of a list in advance and they'll have stuff like they'll, they'll prepare a sketch so that you can pick it up at the convention whenever you meet up. So that way you don't have to wait in line. But it's not, it's not a tip system. you got to pay, yeah. and it depends on who you're getting the, it from. Exactly, yeah. And so you're talking about the more high-end commissions, like $60, $100, $200 sometimes, depending on how many characters. If, well, if, that's, if, that's not high-end. If that's, Adam that's, Hughes breathes on you, it's 600 Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, if you're, talk, if you're calling them sketches, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and if these are your first some ones, of the, some of the sketches, like some of it's kind of expensive. But no, you're you're absolutely right. You know, find artists that you that you really like and go for it. And autographs usually they don't charge for autographs. Yeah, so sign, but you know, like if you're buying it from like a table, unless you're you know, no. they there they want you to buy something. <laughs> you know, buy a book, buy a thing, or or you know, if you really want to get your thing signed, bring the book that proves that you already bought it or something like that. Although you may not want really to fun it. thing to do. Try to take a picture of Lou Ferrigno without him knowing. <laughs> it's really no, a lot it's of fun. It's not. It's All right, Brandon's, Brandon's next I've question. I've done it. Question is, what's a realistic amount of time for autograph sketches to shoot for as far as lines and time goes? I was hoping for at least to get Kirkman to sign my Invincible hardcover, maybe a sketch from Scotty Young, but do you think I'll have time for more than that? Kirkman could be a multiple hour, even more so. Every year he's more popular. Uh, the good news about Kirkman is that he will sit there until that line is gone. Yeah, so passes, it, passes a lot of time. Well, I, I, would, lot I of wouldn't. Time. I wouldn't waste that on like Friday morning first thing because you yeah. can do that pretty much any time of the weekend. Yeah, um, honestly, like as, as, as an autograph. I mean, watch sketches of, are the things you really want. Watch ahead of time for them to publish the schedules, and you'll know when. Uh, you know, is it a waste of time? That depends on what you want and what's important to you. I know that Scotty does a limited number of sketches, and they ain't cheap. Yeah. Um, so you want to definitely get on that uh, as far ahead of time as possible. Yeah. Do your homework is basically for the sketches. And then his next question, what are the must-see panels and events at Comic-Con, and do you have to reserve seats for them in advance? We don't know because they yeah, haven't released them. the panels yet. Uh, they do not have reserved seats. That doesn't exist. They don't have reserved seats, but if you're going to uh, talking about a media panel, like a Avengers panel or Dark Knight Rises panel or some big movie panel, you're going to end up being in line for six hours just to get into the panel. That's your day. And then even then, you might not get in. Last year, my girlfriend was in line for six hours with her friend to get into one of those movie panels, and they, sh- they didn't even get in. So that's just that is that's the way it goes. It, so if you, you if you want to go to one of these, yeah, if you want to go to one of these, you sort of have to weigh it and say, do I really, really want to see it, or do I want to spend more time, you know, talking to people, going around, you know, meeting other other like minded fans, or or hanging out, getting those sketches, shopping. But if it's so, a comics panel, chances are it won't be a problem getting into. Right. Not usually. Uh, yeah. Although, although the, the bigger ones are are always full. The uh, you know Marvel general Marvel panels, general DC panels, the Batman panels, those kind of things are always full. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea if you to look ahead of time again when the schedule's published, figure out what you want to see, 
build your day around those things. But it's, the, it's, the, it's the media panels you got to watch out for because you could get stabbed. There is a precedent. Yeah, that's true. If you want to sit a football field and a half away from Peter Dinklage, you know, you just you have to pay for that in, in time, basically. Bring your opera glasses. Yeah, it's true. And that um, was his final question. He thanks us. Uh, he and uh, we, you know, thanks in advance. No problem. No problem. I hope we didn't scare you off. It's uh, no. but it's fun. No. Oh well, one one other thing. If there is an artist that you really want to get a sketch from. Unless you want something really specific, they might have sketches already on their website that you could buy, and maybe you could just go and get it signed. Mm. Like, that's one thing. If, if you don't want a really specific thing like Daredevil slow dancing with, uh, I don't know, other, Robocop. Other side of that is if you do have a specific thing, bring reference. That's, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Just do your research on who, you, who your favorite guys are. And if, if your favorite guy isn't that popular, you, you can probably get something good for not that super expensive. But if you're trying to go for Scotty Young, guys like that, you're going to be paying a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. That's how they make their money. He's won a bunch of Eisners. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, multiple Eisner award winning Scotty Young. So yeah. supposed Please. To <laughs> so if you have an email, email us at contact at ifanboy.com. And now let's try to squeeze a couple of voicemails in before the end of the show. Our first voicemail has a tricky question. Hey, guys. This is Jeff from Georgia. And I was listening to the latest episode. And thinking about the creator uh, surge, the, the creator-owned surge that's, that's going on in, in comics right now with Image and all these other companies, and thinking about Marvel and DC, and thinking also about uh, the amount of editorial mandates that happen at Marvel and DC. What do you guys think about that, and, and how that is affecting the stories that are going on at Marvel and DC? Um, are, are, are editors really at the, at the heart of kind of what is lagging about some of those stories or is, uh, or is it the writers? Um, I don't know. There seems to be a lag going on at Marvel and DC in my eyes. And so I just want to know what you guys think. Thanks. Okay. This is a tricky one. As I said, uh, the preface by saying we don't know exactly everything that goes on. We certainly know no people work in comics. We, we hear a lot of stories, so we have some idea of what happens. But of course, no one knows everything unless they're actually involved. Editorial. See, the thing. The thing is, to blame editors outright is probably not right. These are, you know, those are guys just doing their jobs, trying to get the comic book out. But when you talk about an overall editorial plan, and that's linked in with sales. So it's sales and editorial, figuring out what sells, what has sold in the past, and how to sort of try to recreate that. That does happen, especially at those big companies. Not entirely. There's, there's pockets of it that it doesn't. But when you're talking about big franchise books, when you're talking about Marvel Comics and they have a movie coming out this summer, you know, they, they have to try to – they want to try to goose those numbers. That's what Avengers versus X-Men is all about. This is like what's the thing that, that we can you – know, how can we recreate Civil War? How can we do that? And I, I feel like uh, – you know, I don't, I don't know tons of specifics, but I feel like it's very much affecting the books that are coming out today. I think – uh, if you were to talk to writers on a very non-public sort of way, you'd probably hear some of that. And then from others of them, this is part of the fun. This is what it is. You know, when you talk, the thing is, when you're talking about Marvel and DC, this is no different now than it's ever been. Editorial mandate. You know, Marvel Comics was Stan Lee. He wrote and and editorially directed all the books. You know, that's how it came together. So that's true in theory, but in practice, yeah. it's actually. I'd say we're. In, I'd say right now we're in a more heavy-handed yes. editorial era than we were in the last couple of years. And that's you know. They, I mean, editorial is always driven with happens in these books because it's it's a shared universe of corporate characters. So. You know, no writer's got full control over his stories. The editor has to approve them, and the editor's editor has to approve them, and the publisher has to approve them. But that's the overall structure of how these things work. But in terms of the day-to-day, 
I think right now we're in a heavier-handed definitely era. And I mean, you can even and then you look at DC. You know, they they went over everything, and and right away, you know, within a couple of months, you started seeing editor, you started seeing uh, creative changes happening. Those are editorial decisions that you know this creator, you know, isn't doing what we want either from a sales standpoint or a story standpoint, sticking with the rest of it. So so we're going to make changes. It happens, and it def it definitely feels like it, it's more. It's much more prevalent now than it has been in recent years, but that sales are going down. They're trying to do what they can. To, you know, this is their method of trying to combat you know losing money, basically. And and you feel it very acutely when over on the other side of the comics racks, it, you know, Image Comics are not editorially mandated at all. Sometimes to their detriment. You know, to True. be completely fair, you know, but those are books where the creators have carte blanche. They do what they want. And they they live or die by that call. It's you know it's a it's a part of comics and it, it ebbs and flows. And, uh, you know, there are pockets where, you know, I think that if you were to go look at Thunderbolts, for an example, now that's a book that should be hip deep in all of the stuff that's going on. But but it's about to be. That's the thing. Yeah, but it's that's still the editorial comes in. And we're going to I mean, we're going to see that this is a thing where you see a book that is really good and you like it, but maybe the sales aren't that good. And then you start to see changes like that where they take Thunderbolts and they'll change it to Dark Avengers, you know, to try to fit it in now all through whatever the last big thing that was going on was the book stayed interesting but it was a dance you know like he was he, they were they were in and out of the event that was going on was that siege or i forget but um but this is this is no different than any other entertainment medium i no. mean movies are executive driven tv shows are executive driven if you don't like that then you make independent films or you don't work in tv or you, or you find a tiny little cable network that doesn't care but that's how it works when someone else is footing the bill is that they get to have a say over what happens and unless you're super popular and super powerful, then you and you and you have a track record of making money for someone, then you get more leeway. Otherwise, you have to have a you have a boss who tells you what to do, like every other job in the world. Yeah, uh, the good news is, you know, if if you don't like that, hey, a lot of people like that. You know, Marvel sells a lot of comics; they're selling them to somebody. Some people show up for certain kinds of things; other people show up for other kinds of things. If you don't like that, there are other comics. There's all kinds of comics available, and that's that's the thing that I think that we are constantly trying to stress is that. You know, whatever the comic book is that you're looking for, it's it's probably out there and it's on the stand. I mean, we try to talk about the ones that we like. It's one of those things where when people are talking about waiting for comics and comics being delayed, they're like, I I, I can't stand the the wait. But there's I, I never get that because there's so many other things to read. Like there's too many things to read, really. So if you're not enjoying something, there is going to be something else that you'll like. So all right. Well, speaking of things we like, let's do one more voicemail. Hey, iFamily, this is uh, Tom Morris from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I was calling. My question is, what what are your three favorite comic book podcasts you guys listen to besides your own? I was kind of curious, like, what else you guys listen to that's comic book related in a podcast? And what are also just some other just random podcasts you guys listen to? Thanks, bye. Um, oh. Well, let me ask you guys. Do you, do you listen to any comics podcasts anymore? No, it's a bit of a disappointing answer because yeah. the only one I was really listening to for for a long time was Tom versus, and he stopped doing that because he went to to do other stuff. And that's if you follow me on on social networks or whatever, you I don't often talk about comics outside of I fanboy because that's what my job is, and I just don't want to talk about comics twenty four seven or listen to the, talk about them, which you know sounds bad since that's what I do and do a show about, but. I just can't. I can't do comics twenty four hours a day. So I often, when I'm not doing my fanboy or doing our own show or producing our own shows or post producing our own shows or or planning content for iFanboy.com or whatever stuff you don't even see, 
I often don't think about comics, look at comics, I do other stuff. So I, I pretty much stopped listening to all other comics content as a result. Yeah. I, uh, I have to be in the right mood for it, but um, if I, when, I don't always listen to comics podcasts, but when I do, I listen to things like uh, 11 O'Clock Comics because they also have a, a, a very different take on the comics coming out currently than than we do. I would say so. It's 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 interesting to look at a, at a different perspective, and 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 those guys are, are are great guys. So I listen to their show. I I, I listen more to creator interview shows. Yeah. So I'll listen to to Word Balloon when there's a creator that I'm I'm interested in, and uh, and Loikomania by the uh, the great Pat Loika who talks to everybody he's, he's working he's working a little hard for me to feel comfortable about it <laughs> yeah, I, he he i mean he has he has the connections he, he knows some guys and and uh i have i've had the pleasure of being on his show to talk about the wire of all things so um i and i love his enthusiasm and he's not so cynical about about comics so that's very refreshing so i like those things uh we were also asked what other podcasts we listen to i listen to fresh air a lot uh, again, when it's usually more the entertainment ones and, you know, like uh, directors and actors and, and writers and things like that that I'm interested in. And Radiolab. I'm a big Radiolab fan. I love the way those both of those shows are produced. And I, I like science. And, and again, it's something different than comics because that's our day job. That's we hear about that stuff all the time. So something a little bit different and science sort of, of course, so to go with the science theme, which uh, Ryan Haupt does. So big fans of those. Connor, do you listen to any podcasts? Yeah, I do. I listen to Tobolowski Files, This American Life, Mike and Tom Eat Snacks, and that's it, I think. Keeping up with those three is enough. Yeah, I do. I do yeah, I mean, basically, I get my dog walks to listen to stuff, and I tend to not listen to comic stuff. I listen to stuff about stories. You know, if you talk about This American Life, it's about stories. Now, that's what I like about comics is stories. Or you listen to, you know, WTF, you listen to Marin's show. It's, you know, people telling the stories of their lives. That's the kind of thing that gets me interested. Other than that, I just listen to audiobooks about Gilded Age presidents. I do listen to WTF sometimes, depending on who the guest is. If, if it's someone I'm really interested in, I usually listen to that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I missed one. Another one of my favorites, uh, Book Rageous, which uh, our own Josh Christie co-hosts. And uh, I'm a big fan of, of just reading in general, so not just comics. So I'd, And they talk about comics sometimes, too. So I, I definitely recommend that. Boss. All right. So those are your, your voicemails. You can call 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697, and ask us a question and uh, you know, try to keep the, keep the call manageable. Don't, don't go on for a really long time. Those were good questions, though, and uh, you know, keep, keep calling up and, and asking. Uh, we really appreciate that. It makes the show better. Let's wrap this puppy up. Speaking of other podcasts, actually. We do other shows other than this one, and uh, I had the distinct pleasure of talking to Dan Abnett for, uh, it'll be out on Monday, uh, for the iFanboy Don't Miss podcast, where we talk about the new Dead Wardians number one, which is a new eight-issue miniseries from Vertigo Comics. It has vampires and zombies in it. Which is great, but it's the most English horror story you could possibly think of. And uh, we talk about Downton Abbey a little bit, if you believe this, it. Uh, the party, Occupy movement. It was a party and no one wants to say the thing that they're thinking. But someone does and then everybody's really upset by there's it. A, there's a little bit of that. It's, I mean, they've... Yeah, so check it out. It's a, it's a great conversation. I also do the Make Comics podcast for those of you interested in the creative arts of comic books with Andy Schmidt, former former big-time editor for Marvel Comics. He's worked on a lot of great books and uh, former senior editor at IDW. Or, or I guess he probably named that book G.I. Joe Cobra 2. Damn it. 
I got I got to <laughs> about that. I mean, we we pick a topic. This last week we talked about making time for making comics, uh, which is certainly something that people struggle with when it's it's not their day job, and it it's not a lot of people's day job. So you can check that out every Wednesday morning. Uh, we'll bring you a little bit of combined wisdom, mostly his. It's an excellent show. If you're if you're not entirely tired of of the sound of my voice at this point, you can check out the Fuzzy Typewriter podcast, which I do with my buddy David Acampo, who has a comic book coming out very soon. You can hear about that on the latest show. I don't know if it'll be out by the time this is out, but we did a big roundup of all the uh, image comics that we're really enjoying right now. Uh, so it's probably going to be like two episodes. We had a big, long conversation, and that also involves uh, Timmy Wood, uh, who also writes for iFanboy and does some very funny stuff for us. So I think you'll enjoy that. But we talk about movies. But Josh is going to be on soon to I'm talk coming about on. Uh, yeah, Josh is finally coming on for uh, talking about uh, Game of Thrones. So, so in excited. advance of the new season. So we're going to be talking about the first book, the first season. So check that out. Definitely. And go to ifanboy.com. You can check out the Pick of the Week review that I wrote for John Cotter, Guards of Mars, number one. You can check out Connor's Book of the Month review that, that Which went up. We'll talk about that next week because it's a book that Ron really wanted to talk about. Definitely. So we'll, we'll do that next week. Um, and, and all the other stuff that we've got going on. We try, to, we try to keep things hopping and interesting and give you things to talk about and read about all the time. You can go to ifanboy.com slash about to read about the staff and the different places that you can hook up with us on social networks. And you can follow us on twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy. How can they get in touch with us, Connor? Contact at ifanboy.com is the email address. 888-FANBOYS-326-2697 is our voicemail line. And if you dig us, write us a review in iTunes, or better yet, tell your friends about us, introduce your mom to podcasts, spread the iFanboy word. Podcasts? Word. And that's all for the show, people. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Paul. I am Connor. I am Paul. And I am your host, Josh Flanagan. Whoa, what? Whoa. Whoa! Take a look at the long man Reading up the wrong guy Oh man, wonder if you'll ever know Who's in the best-selling show Who's still alive